Hey there, welcome back to Dose Makes the Poison the Toxcast. I'm your host, Kevin. So remember last episode, episode 15, where we talked about the 2021 Kentucky Derby winning horse Medina Spirit and how he had tested positive for betamethasone, a banned substance. Also remember how they were sending out the B sample for positive confirmation testing to see if the sample would come back positive or negative for betamethasone. Well, Medina Spirit's B sample drug test came back and surprise, surprise, it was positive for betamethasone as expected. So it looks like the horse's 2021 Kentucky Derby win will be stripped. Bob Baffert was suspended by Churchill Downs for two years after this positive test came back. But as Bob Baffert does, he and the owners of the horse are now suing the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission and seeking a temporary injunction, which they say is to prevent violation of due process rights and for custody of remnant urine samples from the horse. Basically, Bob Baffert wants to send a urine sample to another laboratory for independent testing to determine if betamethasone was introduced via a topical ointment, such as Odomax, as he says, or some sort of intra-articular injection, which would be the illegal form. So he's going to argue again that the rule banning betamethasone was only intended for injections and not topical ointment administration. After the Kentucky Derby, Medina Spirit finished third in the Preakness Stakes, uh, was banned from competing in the Belmont Stakes. And the lawsuits over this thing are probably going to last months and months and months and possibly years. So, right now, they are haggling over, hey, I want to send a urine sample out to this lab to determine if we, from where did the uh, betamethasone come from. If it's possible or not, we'll see. But if new more news breaks about this substance and this scenario and this case, um, I will be sure to talk about it in a future episode. So now, to the topic at hand. Late last year in Minnesota, a man whose name I'm going to butcher, um, it is Thorbjorn Vodnes Koyen McBain, formerly known as Trevor Alexander Bain was charged with attempted murder and assault after law enforcement said he poisoned his ex-wife with a toxic chemical. So if you look at the story, authorities say he attacked his ex-wife. See, his ex-wife, they had gotten divorced in 2013. And he he attacked his wife when the two, or his ex-wife when the two met up uh, for a custody visitation meeting. The victim told the police that McBain went into the bathroom and when he emerged from the bathroom, he squirted her with a squirt gun and then poured a liquid onto her from a bottle. She said it didn't feel or smell like water and she licked the liquid from her hand to determine what it was and it had a spicy flavor. Now, as a tangent here, people, don't lick unknown substances. And let me repeat that for you. Do not lick substances of a known origin or identification. It is a good way to get hurt. It is a good way to die. 
Just a wee bit of a warning from a forensic toxicologist right there. Don't lick substances. Also, one of the children who was nearby was also splashed with the liquid, and the liquid was reported that it was kind of sticky, and the, the child developed a taste in his mouth like pepper. Ultimately, the ex-wife began to feel sick and felt like she was going to lose consciousness. The ex-wife tried to call 911 but was unable to speak. McBain himself ended up calling 911 because he claimed she was having a panic attack. She was transported to the hospital. Doctors believe she may have been poisoned by an organophosphate, which from what the effects she was exhibiting. Well, this month, June 2021, news broke that the toxic chemical was potentially nicotine. And during toxicology testing, the laboratory detected a large amount of cotinine, nicotine's main metabolite. According to one article from Fox 9 in Minnesota, a laboratory scientist is quoted as saying the cotinine result was, quote, roughly 10 times higher than what he would expect to see in a heavy smoker, end quote. It was also reported that the woman does not smoke, and no one in else in her house smokes either. So authorities are under the impression that the liquid squirted and splashed on the woman was nicotine. Since this substance was in the news, I figured we'd talk about it for a moment. I mean, it's not the sexy compound of the day. It's not fentanyl, which is everywhere. It's not a designer opioid like isotonitazine. It's not a designer benzo like fluoralprazolam. I mean, heck, it's not classical poisoning like strychnine or cyanide or even something even crazier like ricin. But we hear about this compound a lot. So let's get into it for a moment. Nicotine. What is it? What does it do to the body? How do we detect a substance in the lab? Is this story plausible? So if you go back for a little history, tobacco was first introduced to Europe in 1559, and by the late 1600s, it was used for smoking and as an insecticide. It's a natural insecticide. Nicotine is an alkaloid found in the tobacco plant, which is Nicotinia tobaccum. Uh, and and nic nicotine itself is typically about 0.6 to 3% of the dry weight of the plant. It was originally isolated from the, uh, the plant in 1828 by Christian Wilhelm Posselt and Carl Ludwig Riemann. Its structure was determined by Pinner and Wolfenstein in 1893, and it was first synthesized by Pictet and Rachi in 1904. Nicotine gets its name from Jean Nicot, a French ambassador in Portugal in the 1500s. Um, Jean originally sent tobacco seeds to the king. And if you look at cigarettes now, the average cigarette yields about 1 to 2 milligrams of absorbed nicotine. That's the amount of nicotine actually inhaled. That's not the total amount of nicotine in a cigarette. That's how much you actually consume of nicotine um, uh, from a cigarette. Uh, nic nicotine's chemical name is 3,2-S-1-methyl-2-pyrrolidinol-pyridine. But we can call it nicotine. 
It's got a molecular formula of C10, H14, N2, 10 carbons, 14 hydrogens, 2 nitrogens. And its molecular weight is 162.2 grams per mole. It's a relatively small molecule. So as you could probably think of, when we talk about nicotine and typical routes of administration, you're going to think of smoking, vaping, and transdermal application as well. And I did say transdermal. Uh, just think of nicotine patches for smoking cessation. Uh, but it's also important to point out here, because we've talked about this in the past, but this drug, nicotine, this substance, it's easily absorbed through the skin without that transdermal patch vector. So... Unlike fentanyl, which is not readily absorbed via the skin without that sort of vector, no matter what anybody says, um, fentanyl cannot be absorbed or is not readily absorbed that way. But nicotine is. Nicotine is readily absorbed through the skin. So this is what we're going to talk about here in a minute. Uh, pharmacologically, at lower dosages, nicotine is a stimulant substance and at larger dosages, you see other effects. So this is why it's considered to be biphasic in its effects. Nicotine is a nicotinic acetylcholine receptor agonist. And if you read about nicotine and what it does, you may see this receptor written as the abbreviation NACHRS. Uh, I refer to it as Natchers or Knackers, um, but it, it, you will see it abbreviated instead of writing out nicotinic acetylcholine receptor agonist all the time. So what happens in the body? Nicotine binds to these receptors and produces a specific effect, which is primarily seen in the parasympathetic nervous system. So on the ToxCast, we've kind of talked about this before. Go back to episode 11 when we talked about Jagger, the Irish setter, and his death involving the carbamate pesticides aldicarb and carbofuran. And we also talked about the mnemonic sludgem. Well, that mnemonic applies here too. The overall effects are the same, but the mechanism is a bit different. Those pesticides in episode 11, in, in Jagger's case, they were acetylcholine enzyme inhibitors which prevent or slow down the enzyme from breaking down acetylcholine and basically prevents it from doing its job. So nicotine is an acetylcholine receptor agonist. It binds to those receptors and produces an effect. But again, it essentially leads to those same effects. And this is why those um, uh, uh, medical professionals in the original story thought she was being poisoned by an organophosphate because you see the similar effects in that mnemonic sludgem when we go through this right here. S for salivation. The salivary glands are stimulated. You drool, usually pretty excessively. Lacrimation, L. The lacrimal glands are stimulated. Your eyes tear up. Your eyes begin watery. You begin crying. U for urination. The internal sphincter muscle in the urethra relaxes and the trusser muscles contract. Basically, you start to pee yourself. Defecation, D. This can also be called the diaphoresis. You'll see it sometimes. Um, defecation, you're pooping yourself. Diaphoresis, you become sweaty. 
G, gastrointestinal upset. The smooth muscle muscles in your body, uh, the tone changes and basically causes nausea and cramping. So you don't feel well at all. E for emesis or emesis, however you want to pronounce it. You're vomiting. You don't feel well. And M, sometimes you'll see it's either sludge or sludge M. Uh, M for meiosis. You have pinpoint pupils. So at even larger dosages, you start to see effects on skeletal muscle and central nervous system, which are manifested through uh, central nervous system depression, hypotension or low blood pressure, bradycardia or abnormally slow heart rate, muscle spasms, and eventually weakness and paralysis, difficulty in breathing, coma, respiratory failure. And if after all of that, potential death. So nicotine enters the body. It's rapidly distributed through the blood and reaches the brain quickly. It's a rapidly distributed drug. As an example for this, during the inhalation route of administration, you smoke, you inhale, nicotine reaches the brain within 20 seconds of administration. Rather quick. The elimination half-life is urine pH dependent, but via inhalation, the half-life is approximately 24 to 84 minutes. Nicotine itself is extensively transformed, biotransformed to several metabolites via the cytochrome P450 enzyme system, mostly by CYP2A6 and CYP2B6, uh, with cotinine being the primary active metabolite. And cotinine remains in the blood for an extensive amount of time when compared to nicotine. The half-life for cotinine is approximately 18 to 20 hours. So where you're talking minutes for nicotine, cotinine is 18 to 24 hours. There are other metabolites formed, including nicotine and prime oxide, nor nicotine and hydroxy nicotine and nicotine glucuronide. But in the laboratory, we monitor both nicotine and its primary active metabolite, cotinine. The LD50 or the dose needed to cause death in 50% of the test population for humans is said to be 0.5 to 1 milligram per kilogram for adults and 0.1 milligram per kilogram for children. Some people in the scientific community think this may be an underestimation of the LD50, but in forensic talks, we've used this number for years and years and years. And there was a good paper written on this by Mayer in 2014 in the Archives of Toxicology. And I highly advise you read it. He surmises that the generally accepted LD50 of nicotine is incorrect and based on some rather bad science and interpretation. He presents a pretty logical look at his thought process about it. The, the editorial of the paper is titled, How Much Nicotine Kills a Human? tracing back the generally accepted lethal dose to dubious self-experiments in the 19th century. Again, from 2014, and the journal was the Archives of Toxicology. Go look it up if you can. But for this discussion today, we will continue to use the 0.5 to 1 milligram per kilogram range for LD50 of nicotine in adults. Because there is a smaller amount of nicotine found in a cigarette, 
it's unlikely that a person could overdose on nicotine through the smoking route. The real problem here is e-cigarettes, is vaping liquids. Those contain larger amounts of nicotine. Most of those liquids are 5 to 30 milliliters of a liquid that contains 1 to 3% nicotine. So if you do the math on that, and I have done it for you, that's a, a, a solution of about 10 to 30 milligrams per milliliter of nicotine. And if you do more math, that means that a small 5 milliliter liquid volume, that's one teaspoon if you're keeping track at home, um, that's a 50 to 150 milligrams of nicotine in that solution. So let's do more math here. We love math here at ToxCast. So you take an average 180-pound adult human. If you consider the LD50 to be 0.5 to 1 milligram per kilogram, 180 pounds is 81.8 kilograms. The LD50 would be 40.9 to 81.8 milligrams of nicotine. So you should now be able to see why these things are considered potentially dangerous when in the wrong hands. 40 to 80 milligrams can kill a person. And there's 50 to 150 milligrams of nicotine in a single vape liquid cartridge. Now you've got to consider this, that most of these liquids also have some sort of aroma or taste to them. They are flavored, which entices people, especially young children, to potentially consume them via drinking. I know I've smelled a lot of these things before. Cotton candy, maple syrup, fruit tastes such as cherry and grape. Uh, they can smell really, really good. And one of my favorites of all time was when it was when I was at a, a Cannibal Corpse concert. And yes, I do listen to death metal. But I was standing there in the crowd and a vape cloud hit me. It smelled so, so nice, so great. It smelled just like a fruit punch Kool-Aid. That was the most pleasant aroma of the night. That's for sure. It smelled so great. But talking about the toxicity of these substances and these kind of formulations, if you check out data from poison control centers, you'll see that there are thousands of reports to the centers every year regarding e-cigarette and liquid nicotine exposures. Looking at recent data from the National Poison Data System of the American Association of Poison Control Centers, or AAPCC for short, as of May 31st of this year, 2021, there were 2,063 exposure cases for the year. That's just half the year, basically. In 2019, there were 5,356 cases of exposure. In 2020, there were 3,831 cases. Just as a caveat here, just keep in mind that the AAPCC defines exposure as someone who has had contact with the substance in some way, for example, ingested, inhaled, or absorbed a substance by the skin or eyes. We will see where 2021 ends up, but again, there are thousands of reports of exposure to nicotine liquid, uh, e-cigarette liquid, um, in the United States every single year as these things become more and more available uh, to the general public. Lucky for us, forensic toxicologists such as me, and such as you if you're listening to this, uh, nicotine is easily detected by the forensic tox lab. 
Uh, we use liquid chromatography with triple quadrupole mass spectrometry or some other form of high resolution mass spectrometry, such as time of flight, quadrupole time of flight mass spectrometry. Uh, but don't fret if you don't have newer instrumentation because you can detect it pretty easily by older school methods, such as gas chromatography with flame ionization detection or FID, nitrogen phosphorus detection or NPD, or GCMS, gas chromatography mass spectrometry. Nicotine extracts pretty easily out of biological tissues such as blood or urine. It ionizes on the mass spectrometer pretty well. Um, so again, uh, nicotine's half-life is pretty quick. So in the lab, we must also monitor its metabolite, cotinine. So getting back to that original story. Is the story about the ex-husband poisoning his ex-wife via splashing nicotine liquid on her skin plausible? And yes, it is plausible. As I said before, dermal absorption of nicotine liquid is definitely plausible. We've already talked about poison control exposure reports. Uh, but over the years, there have been several case reports published in scientific literature describing non-fatal and fatal poisonings due to dermal exposure to concentrated nicotine solutions, as well as oral consumption of nicotine liquid solutions. So if you scan the scientific literature, you'll find published reports of nicotine poisoning from quite a long time ago. As an example, if you go all the way back to 1933, Faulkner reported in the Journal of the American Medical Association about nicotine, nicotine poisoning by absorption through the skin. The same year, Lockhart published a report in the British Medical Journal about nicotine poisoning through the skin. In a report published by Benowitz in uh, 1987 in Clinical Pharmacology and Therapeutics, they detailed the case of a woman who deliberately applied black leaf 40, which if you like I said before, way back earlier in the episode, nicotine it was used as a pesticide or an insecticide. Blackleaf 40 was the name of an old school pesticide containing nicotine. She deliberately applied this stuff to her skin. And then she began to experience effects such as emesis and abdominal cramps. Uh, she actually went to the hospital, toxicology testing, uh, came back positive on her blood plasma revealed a peak blood concentration for nicotine at 350 nanograms per milliliter and cotinine at 800 nanograms per milliliter. Those were at 6.5 hours and 11.5 hours post-exposure, respectively. In a report published more recently, in 2016 by Furman et al., in the Clinical Toxicology Journal, a woman poured 120 milliliters of 10% nicotine liquid on her skin and developed emesis and metabolic acidosis. She had a blood serum concentration of nicotine equal to 243 nanograms per milliliter. Those people lived, though. They lived through this uh, toxic event. In other recent news, because this just popped up last month, uh, a 25-year-old Pennsylvania woman was charged with poisoning her 14-month-old son with nicotine vape oil. And as reported in May 2021 by Lehigh Valley Live, the mom and baby arrived at the hospital because the baby had trouble breathing. The baby was treated by personnel, cleared for discharge the next morning, but the baby went into respiratory distress 
and the mother said the child was coughing and gagging and vomiting. Doctors observed the baby was pretty tired, lethargic. About an hour later, the baby suffered seizures, coughing, more gagging, more vomiting. Uh, Blood was actually tested by the hospital, and toxicology revealed a very high level of nicotine. The baby was moved to intensive care. And this is where doctors began to notice that the mom was exhibiting some very odd behaviors. The baby began vomiting again, was tachycardic. Um, According to court documents, there was a strong fruity smell in the room. The baby was intubated. The mother was still behaving very sketchy. Samples were taken for toxicology twice more the next morning. And toxicology revealed, and I quote from the article, deadly high levels of nicotine and cotinine. The mother was ordered removed from the room and the baby recovered. When confronted about why she would do this, she at first didn't admit to it, but then she ultimately admitted, ultimately admitted to giving the baby nicotine vape oil. And as I said before, she is currently facing charges. So if this story is ever updated in media, I'll follow up with up with you on the Toxcast about it. Those luckily were non-fatal poisonings with nicotine. But nicotine can kill via dermal absorption or other routes of administration such as oral exposure. I'm not going to worry about the inhalation route of administration today uh, because that's so common. I'm mainly looking at alternative ways of exposure. So in 1991, Lavoie and Harris reported in the Journal of Emergency Medicine the case of a 17-year-old man who ingested an 87% nicotine solution. He developed cardiac arrest, and he died two and a half days later of anoxic encephalopathy. His blood serum level taken at hospital admission had a nicotine concentration equal to 14,000 nanograms per milliliter of blood. In 2016, Eggleston et al. reported in the Clinical Toxicology Journal the case of a 1.5-year-old boy or 1.5-year-old boy who ingested as much as 100 milligrams of nicotine in the form of a liquid. He experienced emesis, seizure, and cardiac arrest. His post-mortem heart blood concentration for nicotine was 4,700 nanograms per milliliter. In 2017, Vandermeer et al. reported the case of a 42-year-old man who ingested an e-cigarette refill solution. He was admitted to the hospital in cardiac arrest. His blood plasma nicotine concentration was 3,000 nanograms per milliliter at 1.5 hours post-exposure, and he died from its effects eight days later. I could keep going. But the last one I'll mention is the case of a 23-year-old woman in 1973. This was published by Crowland et al. And she was accidentally injected intravenously with 490 milligrams of nicotine. Yes, I said that right. Injected with nicotine intravenously and injected with a lot of nicotine. She suffered immediate an irreversible circulatory collapse and died within 20 minutes of exposure. Her postmortem blood concentration for nicotine was 6,000 nanograms per milliliter. 
So again, with those reports that I just talked about briefly, nicotine can easily cause effects which lead to non-fatal poisoning and deaths. So I hope you learned just a little bit about what nicotine is and how it can cause poisoning in humans. It's one of those compounds that we encounter in human toxicology all the time. And most of the time, it's present via smoking or vaping uh, properly, not via exposures from the skin or drinking the vape liquid. But those sorts of poisonings and deaths do occur. Nicotine is extremely relevant in the toxicology world. Please remember that vaping liquids, vape liquids, are not innocuous. They do contain a large amount of nicotine. If you go back and look at the math that we did, those things can contain 50 to 150 milligrams of nicotine in that entire solution. A vape liquid is to vape. It is not to put on your skin. It is not to drink. Please be responsible with your liquids and e-cigarettes and keep them out of the hands of folks who may attempt to drink them or put them on their skin. Folks who don't know better. Those folks are also known as children. So just Be careful with them. Be responsible adults. Vape properly. Smoke properly. Keep your products out of the hands of people who don't know what they're doing with those products. Be safe out there, people. Be safe. So if you like what you're hearing on this podcast, please leave me an Apple Podcast review. Send me an email at dosemakesthepoisonpodcast at gmail.com. If you are on Twitter, check out the ToxCast Twitter feed at at ToxCast, T-O-X-C-A-S-T. Head over to Facebook, give me uh, the Dose Makes the Poison podcast page a like. I'll be back next month for episode 17 of the ToxCast. I do thank you for listening. Thank you for sending me questions. Thank you for interacting with me on social media. And if you or your organization is interested in sponsoring the ToxCast or running some sort of partnership, let's talk. Send me a message. I'm always open to new ideas to get toxicology out there, um, especially when it comes to the media and pop culture. Let's talk about how we can do that and how we can get more exposure for toxicology everywhere. So send me a message. Until next time, my friends, always, always, always remember to never practice toxicology in a vacuum.